Father in heaven, we thank you for the Sabbath day. We thank you for the Thanksgiving season and for the blessings that we can recount. I just pray, Lord, that you would speak through me now and may each one of us hear what you would have us to hear today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture reading is Revelation sixteen 15. I'm going to read that again as we begin this message. Revelation 16, verse 15, Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. You know, this is the third of seven instances in the book of Revelation where the word blessed is used. And... There are seven blessings that are given in this book. This is the third one. You know, we're in Thanksgiving season, and so we've been counting our blessings. We can be thankful that we can be here free to assemble and worship God today. We can be thankful that we've had time to spend with family. This has been a challenging year, but we can be thankful for the blessings that have come through challenges and trials. And we see the seven blessings. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, Scripture says, Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep the sayings which are written in, in them, for the time is at hand. Do you believe the time is at hand for these prophecies? Revelation fourteen thirteen. this is a blessing that is promised to those who die in the Lord in the third angel's message. Scripture says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. You know, I'm thankful for heroes of faith who have gone before and their works follow them so that we can see that there were faithful heroes of faith that have gone before us. Then we have this third blessing that we see in our scripture reading where Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And then the fourth blessing is found in Revelation 19, verse 9. This is talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is what all of the redeemed will partake of in heaven. Now listen, you may have had a good Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday, but it's not going to top the marriage supper of the Lamb. You want to be there. And Jesus says in verse 9 of Revelation 19, He saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. You can take it to the bank. Those who are part of the marriage supper of the Lamb will receive the ultimate blessing. You have eternal life and you will be with God in heaven for eternity. Then the fifth blessing is Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. I want to be part of, well, if I'm not still alive, I want to be part of the first resurrection or the special resurrection. And then the sixth blessing is Revelation 22, verse 7, which says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. 
And finally, Revelation 22, verse 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. You know, Scripture is very clear. Revelation 14, 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Revelation 12, 17, we see this great controversy warfare where it says the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Listen, grace-empowered obedience is not legalism. God will have a people on the earth who keep the commandments of God, and there is a blessing for those who do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life. So we come back to this third blessing found in Revelation 16, verse 15. This verse, isolated from itself, is a nice verse to study. But when we see the context of which it is placed, it becomes that much more amazing to consider. And we're going to break this verse down here. Jesus says, behold, I come as a thief. You know, thieves come usually when you're not expecting them. In fact, Jesus refers to this beginning. I'll, I'll take you to a couple of gospel illustrations. Matthew 24 Starting in verse 42, Jesus says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered or allowed his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. You know, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I was privileged to be born into a Seventh-day Adventist home. And I've heard messages about the soon coming of Jesus my whole life. And I have also heard fellow Seventh-day Adventists kind of yawn and say, oh, wow, we heard another sermon on the second coming of Jesus today. I've been in school where my classmates were like, yeah, I bet the teacher's going to talk about the second coming again. And we've lost our identity in some respects for why we exist at a church, as a church. We are Seventh-day Adventists. By definition, we look for the second advent of Jesus. And Jesus is the very fact that you aren't looking for his coming right now is a sign that he's coming. For it's in an hour that you don't think that he's coming that he will come. So he says, behold, I come as a thief. So we go to Luke 12. It's a similar passage with a little bit more detail describing what the coming of Jesus as a thief is like. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. Now this wedding began... In 1844, when the bridegroom came and he went from the holy place to the most holy place, and we as his people now wait on this earth for the wedding to be completed so that Jesus will come back and take us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Ellen White explains this in Great Controversy. Then she go, the, the verse goes on to say that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, that's the marriage supper of the Lamb, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. You know, there are different watches through the night where they would keep watch for robbers and thieves. 
And that's the time where you reach a certain point in the night where you think, okay, nothing's happening, and it's easy to fall asleep. Verse 39 of Luke 12 says, And this know, that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. So there's a little bit more detail in this parable. There's the first watch, the second watch, and the third watch. And what happens, you see in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the ten virgins, the entire church falls asleep because the bridegroom is delayed and it's taken much longer than many ever thought for Jesus to have come. We're 176 years past 1844. You know, Noah only preached for 120 years of the coming of the flood, we've outdone them by 56 years so far. And so people have fallen asleep. But if we knew the time that Jesus was coming, we would be like, okay, well, we know what year it is. So when that year comes, we're going to stop being like the world. We're going to stop playing games with church. We're going to stop putting on this front where we come to church once a week and then the rest of the week we're not watching at all. We're just living like the rest of the world. If we know the hour that he's coming, we would be wide awake. And Jesus says, but you don't know the hour that I'm coming. So you should watch all the time. Do you, don't you love me enough to stay awake the entire time so that I won't take you by surprise? And so let me read this statement to you from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 408. Could the curtain be rolled back? Could you discern the purposes of God and the judgments that are about to fall upon a doomed world? Could you see your own attitude? You would fear and tremble for your own souls and for the souls of your fellow men. Earnest prayers of heart-rending anguish would go up to heaven. You would weep between the porch and the altar, confessing your spiritual blindness and black backsliding. You know, we just kind of go along, Laodicean, lukewarm, and I probably said this last night, but we're like eight months into this pandemic, and some of us are as spiritually comatose today as we were eight months ago, and we're just waiting for this pandemic to go back to normal so we can return to Laodicean normality and live the good life and go out to eat and go out to shop and just do the things that Americans enjoy doing because this thing will just settle down and then we can go back to just everything the way it was and then someday down the road maybe Jesus will come again and this statement says if the curtain could be rolled back and you could see yourself as you truly are in the sight of God you would pray with earnest prayers of heart rending anguish, weeping between the porch and the altar for your spiritual condition. You know, the things that we would be thanking God for in Thanksgiving wouldn't be for more houses, bank accounts, money, and things and stuff. We would be praising God for the spiritual riches that come from being a child of God and of being a follower of Jesus and of having eternal riches that are promised throughout eternity. That's what we'd be praising God for. Those are the blessings that we would be thanking him for. Do we really see who we are? Jesus says, behold, I come as a thief. 
And so we go back to our scripture verse, Revelation 16, 15. Jesus says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments. What does it mean to watch? We go back to the Gospels, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus, in speaking to the ten virgins, there were the five wise, the five foolish, the five wise went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And in verse 11 of Matthew 25, afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. How many times does Jesus have to say, you don't know the day or the hour? And so because of that, we just kind of sleep on thinking it's not going to be right now. Then in Matthew 26, 41, just the next chapter over, Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane for the greatest crisis of his life on earth. Will he drink the cup? And he asks his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John, watch with me. And in verse 40, as they are supposed to be watching and praying with him, it says, he cometh unto the, to the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Well, what does it mean to watch? Notice verse 41. Watch and pray. That you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, a lot of times we're like Peter, James, and John. We're saying, oh, we know what's coming with the final crisis of earth's history. We're watching. There's no way you're going to get me to buy in to following Sunday legislation. I know that the seventh day is the Sabbath, and I'm going to stand true to God when the final crisis comes, and I will be witnessing to my friends and showing them what day Scripture says we should be worshiping on and why Sunday is the mark of the beast and why if you continue down that path, you'll be lost. I'm going to stand true to God during that time. You don't have to worry about me just the way Peter was so self-confident. And Jesus says, yeah, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus is saying, if you want to know what it means to watch and pray, watching and praying is to be watching and praying the way Jesus was earnestly praying to his father in the garden of Gethsemane. And it's the way Peter, James, and John should have been praying and should have been watching so that they would not have been overcome by temptation, especially Peter, when Jesus was taken to trial. Just as the disciples faced a great crisis, we are facing a crisis as well. And Jesus says, blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments. In other words, Jesus is saying, as he looks down at the end of time, he says, blessed are those who watch and pray the way Peter, James, and John should have watched and prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. The way I prayed to my father when I was agonizing before him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know, we're good at watching a lot of things, but we're not so good about watching and praying. We like to watch our favorite TV programs and the games and the things that the world has to offer, but we can barely put in two to three to five minutes, some of us, in our morning prayer time with the Lord. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments. 
lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, when you put the book of Revelation together, you can see that there is an undeniable link between the message to Laodicea and what Jesus is saying here. Because in Laodicea, Laodicea thinks that it is rich and increased with goods and has need of nothing. And Jesus says to them in verse 17, And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And then he goes on to say, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that you might be rich, and white raiment that you might be clothed. So Laodicea, who learns to watch and pray, will learn to have the white raiment, which is the garment of Christ's righteousness. But he says you need to have that white raiment so that the shame of your nakedness will not be seen. Now here's what happens when the Laodicean message is preached, no matter who the messenger is. You know what we do? We say, I know somebody who is lukewarm. Man, if they were here right now, oh, man, they would be, they would be convicted that's exactly what, what they need to hear. I was just seeing what they said on social media the other day. The last time I talked to them in person and they said this or they did that. Boy, this sermon is just for them. But the reality is, is that the Laodicean message is for you as much as it is for anybody. And so Jesus says... I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire and white raiment that you might be clothed so that the shame of your nakedness would not be seen. And yet we come back to Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, and we see this connection where Jesus says, Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments. That's the white raiment, which is the garment of Christ's righteousness. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, what is this verse doing in Revelation 16, verse 15? Because, look, some people might only know that verse out of Revelation 16. But that's really not the only thing that Revelation 16 is talking about. You know what Revelation 16 is talking about? The seven last plagues. The seven last plagues occur after probation closes. And you have these seven last plagues. So what happens is we come to the final crisis of Earth's history, which we talked about last night. It's the end-time prophetic catalyst. And so you have the National Sunday Law that triggers the final events of Earth's history. And we progress to a point where there's the death decree, where probation closes. And now the plagues begin. And those who have the mark of the beast receive grievous sores in the first plague. And then in the second plague, the sea turns into blood. And the third plague, the rivers and the streams turn into blood. And then the fourth plague... There's scorching heat and a great famine. And then the fifth plague, there's darkness that hits the seed of the beast, which is in Rome. And then it affects its entire kingdom throughout the earth. And the the darkness lasts for so long that intense cold comes along. And it's so bad that human beings gnaw their tongues because of the pain, because it's like frostbite on their tongues. I mean, the plagues are bad stuff. Then when we get to the sixth plague, it turns into symbolic language where we have three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. But one of the things that happens is that the great river Euphrates dries up, and the river Euphrates is the river that goes through ancient Babylon. It was the source of life for Babylon, and Revelation 17.15 shows us that water represents people. What happens is after five bad plagues, Those who've received the mark of the beast, who've been the the source of support for Babylon, say, hey, we've been fooled. So the river Euphrates dries up. 
So then Satan does his last master strategy to keep those who are under his deceptions on his side to shore up his support for the battle of Armageddon that will take place in the seventh plague when the death decree will be enforced. And then Jesus comes back so that the death decree doesn't happen. But just before the sixth plague ends, Jesus has a word of warning to his last day church, the Laodicean church, that seventh church of revelation. Laodicea means a judged people. And he's had this message for us as a church since 1844. He's the faithful and true witness, and a witness gives testimony in court. And he's been giving us testimony in court as a faithful and true witness since 1844. And we're going around saying, we're rich. We're increased with goods. We don't need anything. And to be rich is to have the gold tried in the fire so that we may be rich. And 1 Peter 1 verse 7 says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold tried in the fire might be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So we think we have faith. We think we're good. And we think that we have the, the faith that gives us righteousness. So we think we have righteousness by faith. And we aren't really listening to Jesus when he says, you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You don't have the garment of my righteousness. You're poor, meaning you're not rich, meaning you don't have faith. So you think you have righteousness by faith and you really don't. But the reality is, because we don't know it, we can come to church and we can go around at our work and in the community and we can put on this appearance that we are spiritually rich and people will buy into the idea that we have it all together. But God knows our true condition. And so he gives us what Ellen White says in early writings 270 is the straight testimony to tell us who we really are. And then he stands at the door and knocks and says, let me come in. And the condition for letting Jesus come in is to buy what he is selling. And that is the white raiment, the gold, and the eye salve. So it's righteousness by faith and discernment that Jesus wants us to buy. Now, in order for us to obtain this righteousness, we must let Jesus come in. One of the problems with Adventism today is that we want a righteousness that gives us a, an external covering without a heart change. And as Luke 19 says in the parable, there are the servants of the, their Lord who say, we will not have this man reign over us. We're okay with Jesus being Savior, but we don't want him to be Lord. And Jesus says, Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Here's the thing. You can hide your spiritual shame right now, but the reason why Jesus gives this warning in Revelation 16, verse 15, is so that we, the students of Scripture, can see this warning now before probation closes and realize that when probation closes, if you have not watched and kept your garments, the shame of your nakedness will be revealed for all the world to see when the seven last plagues are poured out. I can't think of anything worse than being a professed Seventh-day Adventist during the seven last plagues and you're getting the boils. 
and you're among those who are facing these, the scorching heat and the intense cold. And it's like, hey, weren't you one of the ones that were saying Jesus is coming soon? What are you doing on our side over here? That's why Jesus says, blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. You know, you can walk naked right now spiritually and people don't see it, but you can't do that in the seven last plagues. What is this garment all about? Let me read this statement from Christ Object Lessons, page 311. This robe, woven in the loom of heaven, has in it not one thread of human devising. Christ in his humanity wrought out a perfect character, and this character he offers to impart to us. You know, a lot of us just want imputed righteousness without the imparted version. And then she quotes Isaiah 64, 6, All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Everything that we of ourselves can do is defiled by sin. And a lot of us stop right there and say, see, everything that we do is defiled by sin, so we can't really have righteousness. But that's the lack of faith that doesn't discern things the way Scripture teaches. And so she goes on to say, but the Son of God was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Sin is defined to be the transgression of the law. But Christ was obedient to every requirement of the law. He said of himself, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Listen, when Jesus comes into your heart and life, he will give you a delight for doing the law of God. I mean, what kind of a husband would I be if I'm like, man, I've been married for 13 years and I, st- I have to stick with her? Oh, man, I guess I'll just stick it out because that's what the law says. Whew. Listen, ladies, if you ever meet a guy like that, run away from him as fast as you can. But we think we can do that to God? No, when we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, we will delight to do the will of God too. And then it goes on to say, by his perfect obedience, he has made it possible for every human being to obey God's commandments. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart. Talk about a Thanksgiving blessing. I want my heart to be united with the heart of Christ. The will is merged in his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We live his life. Talk about a Thanksgiving blessing. To live the life of Christ. To have the heart united with his heart. The will merged in his will. The mind to become one with his mind. The thought to be brought into captivity to his thoughts. To live his life. And she says, this is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garment. Then as the Lord looks upon us, he sees not the fig leaf garment, 
not the nakedness and deformity of sin, but his own robe of righteousness, which is perfect obedience to the law of Jehovah. Listen, friends, I'm afraid that there is a class of Adventists who say, well, because nobody's perfect and because everybody sins and we've all fallen and come short of the glory of God, that's just going to be the way it is until Jesus comes. And yes, it's true that we've all fallen and come short of the glory of God. And yes, it's true that we are all in need of a Savior, but it is not true that God is not powerful enough to not pick us up out of the pit of sin. God can truly truly clothe us with the garment of his righteousness so that we can keep our garments before probation closes and we will have the righteousness of Christ that will keep us after probation closes. God will have a people on the earth who truly do keep the commandments of God, who truly do have the patience of the saints and the faith of Jesus. Are we really willing to let Jesus come in to sell us that garment? You know what the amazing thing is? Jesus paid the price to give us that garment. And it's amazing to me how the devil has deceived so many of us into thinking that we are giving up so much to surrender ourself on the altar to Jesus Christ. And you won't have that attitude when, when the going gets rough, you know. That little side of you that puts everyone in their place with that little attitude and snark that you put down. Wow, you can't give that up. That's ma- that makes you who you are. I mean, you won't be Norman if you aren't like that. And we think that somehow what Jesus is offering us will cause us to lose so much. And here's the reality. You will lose everything that's bad when you give everything to him. And you will gain everything that is good when you learn to watch and keep your garments. And yes, there will need to be earnest, agonizing prayer. Yes, there will need to be watchfulness and to be mindful of the signs of the time. But friends, we are living at a time in earth's history where it is way too late to be walking naked, spiritually speaking. Let's stop making excuses for the fact, well, so-and-so else in the church talks like that or lives like that or watches that or does that. All we should be focusing on is what Jesus has asked of us in his word. Let's not worry about what other people are doing or saying or thinking. God is looking for a people on the earth right now in the year 2020. Here we are, eight months into this pandemic. And as I've said before, and I'll say it again, it would be a shame if here we are all these months into this pandemic, if your character is the same today as it was when the pandemic started eight months ago. The Lord in his mercy is giving us time to prepare and to be ready. And he is looking for a people who have the garment of his righteousness. You know, when you look at the parable of Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14, there's this gospel invitation to come to the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And lots of people have all sorts of excuses. I'm busy. I just got married. I need to check out on my business and do this. I'm in school. I'm doing that. Whatever it may be. 
and everybody has an excuse or, or a reason to not ac- accept the gospel, gospel invitation to come to heaven. So then they go out into the highways and the byways and they find people who accept the gospel call. But there's one man who comes to the wedding feast without the garment. And each guest is inspected before the feast begins. That's the investigative judgment. And when the guest who was without the garment was asked why he didn't have the garment, he was speechless. Because the reality is God has done everything possible through the death of Jesus, his son, and through the ministration of Christ as our high priest in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary to give us all the power that is necessary to receive this garment. By faith, we can accept this garment and we can receive the power of Christ's life and we can live by the faith of Jesus in the hour of his judgment and be a demonstration to the world. And that's what we're going to talk about this afternoon. We can be the demonstration of the righteousness of Christ before he comes. So friends, as we close this message, I just want to challenge you. Jesus is coming as a thief. In fact, that's really referring to the close of probation, and then you find out after the fact, oh, he came, probation closed, I didn't even know. If I'd known, I would have been watching. And then the final events kick in, and then he comes back. Jesus is coming as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth. We need people in the church who are watching and praying, not watching TV. We need people earnestly agonizing and praying the way Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. We need to be keeping our garments and buying that white raiment that Jesus offers us, which is his perfect robe of righteousness. Friends, let's stop walking around with the shame of our nakedness and then just making excuses and say, well, everybody else does it, so I guess God's just going to overlook it. No, he's not. That's why he's given us the message to the Laodicean church. And then he gives us this reminder in Revelation 16 before the plagues are poured out. And he says, there is a blessing for those who watch and keep their garments because the very next blessing in the book of Revelation is to partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Friends, if we will watch and keep our garments, the promise is through the grace of God we will be at that marriage supper of the Lamb someday very soon. If you look at what's happening in the world around us, it's it's not going to go on much longer like this. Jesus is going to come back and claim those who are his own. And he will take back to heaven those who have the garment. May we have that garment today. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.